adoration and to worship you by hearing and obeying your word. Please, Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to remove our distractions, all the cares of the world, the things that we might face this week or, or next week or tomorrow. Just, Lord, help us to get all that behind us and focus upon you and your glory. We want you to do something incredible in us and through us for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor, because you alone are worthy. We bow our knee to you and we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and we worship you. Again, we love you. We praise you, God. And if there is one in our services, one watching by way of the internet that has never believed in you for eternal life, may today be the day that hearing the gospel, they turn to you in faith and believe the glorious truth of the gospel and be saved. God, we love you. In Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. We're starting this book of Hebrews and we're going to go through verse by verse. It's a fascinating book. It's a wonderful book. Uh, the whole theme of this book is the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Both of those things are lacking in our day. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ are lacking in our day. In some of our churches, people have made church about them. They've moved away from the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And it's a shame. We come to this book, and to be honest with you, we really don't know who wrote this book. There's a great debate on different authors wrote it. Some think it was the Apostle Paul, but other scholars say that it matches none of his other writings. And they're going back and forth. I'll tell you who wrote this. Only God knows who wrote this book. That's what one of the third century scholars said, third century being closest to the early church. He realized and said, we really don't know who wrote this book. But I will tell you one even better than that. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is from God. This is from God. It's His book, His message. And it was written to people. Uh, many think it was perhaps through the dispersion of the Jews, and uh, they were writing to them. If you will think about this, the early church had extreme Jewish roots. At first, Christianity was Jewish, Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jewish. The first converts were Jews. The first meetings were in synagogues. And the first, uh, the first controversies concerning Christianity had to do with Jewish practices. And many of these converted Jews believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was new for them. Behold, all things become new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And they were facing certain persecution because they had not, not given themselves wholly to the law, but now they're believing in Jesus Christ and they're, they're doing things that Jews never did. Now, when you think of the law, many of us, uh, we think of the law as the Ten Commandments. But you understand the Jews had 613 Mosaic laws. And so they reverted or they went away from those things because they were following Christ and they began to be persecuted as a result. And as a result of their persecution, some of them decided that they would revert back to the law. And so this book was written to them to show them, now listen to me, to show them that Jesus is better than anything. 
Or I might say it this way, Jesus and his way is best. You don't need the law. You don't need the sacrifices. You don't need Moses. You don't need Abraham. You don't need the prophets. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I want to stand before you today and I want to tell you that all you need in this life is in Jesus. Everything you need is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now I want to say this before we jump into this text. There is a strong desire in everyone's flesh. Every flesh, every human being in this room, which we're all human beings, we have a strong desire in our flesh to revert back to works and the law. There are people in here with many different backgrounds. And I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen it in my life. We all have baggage from the first ministry we were in. We were saved and we grew up under a ministry and that became our rule of belief. And we have become slaves to that. There are many times in my life when I've been reading the Bible and I say, well, that's not what I was taught when I was growing up. Has anyone ever had that experience? Well, that's not what that says. That's not what that means. And we all bring that baggage in. But we all bring with us into when we become believers in Christ, old things are passed away, but that flesh is still there. And that flesh wants to bring back in this thought, you have to do something to be worthy of Christ's salvation. It's very subtle. You don't realize it. That's why we have so many different denominations in our land. You can read different denominations. You can see some people say you've got uh, to believe and you've got to be baptized. You've got to believe and you've got to speak in tongues. You've got to believe and you've got to do this. You've got to do it. And what they're doing is they are saying, listen to me, this is important, they are saying that Christ and his death on the cross is not sufficient. And I will tell you that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is sufficient for everyone. For everyone. There are certain laws and rules your flesh loves. And it's interesting to me, your flesh loves the laws and the rules that you don't break, but someone else breaks. Has anyone ever noticed that? Oh, has anyone else noticed in your own life it's easier for you to spot error in others than it is for you to spot error in your own life? Oh, all three of you are paying attention. The rest of you are either lying or just... It is. And I will tell you this. Most of the things that bother us in life in other people are really insignificant things. It's the little things that really irk us. How can they be a Christian and say they're doing that or, or this or that or the other? So we come to this text in this book, and the writer begins, and he develops all throughout this book. Uh, one author, one scholar has said, this is one 14-chapter gigantic sermon recorded for us. And he is going to record in this sermon how and why Jesus is the best. And guys, listen to me. What we need in our churches today, we need a revival of realization that Jesus is best. His way is best. That's why we are followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. His way is best. Verse 1, would you read with me? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. 
I'm so glad we have a God that has spoken. God has spoken. And then our sermon begins at the very beginning point of everything, God. And let me just tell you, there is nothing for us that is more important, there is nothing for us that is more powerful than God's Word. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that that seems to be more and more increasingly the issue in our churches. Are we going to stand with what God has spoken on, or are we going to uh, conjure up all these other ideas or all these other things that we think is right? Let me just tell you, for example, God said, let there be light, and guess what? There was light. Now, is that not power? That is power. That is power. None of us can say, let there be light, and there would be light. God is all power, and His Word is an expression of that power. I love it. Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, and He says, Lazarus, come forth. The reason He said Lazarus, because if He stand in front of all the tombs and said, come forth, they all would have come forth. Power. Now, what does the author say about the speaking of God. Well, he says, in various times, in various ways, in times past, to the patriarchs, to the fathers, he spoke through prophets. Now, pay attention. I don't want to, I don't want to get lost in no history lesson or all that. I know you didn't come there for that. You want to know how this affects us. This is very important that you understand this. Old Testament prophets had the responsibility of representing God to the people. The prophet would take the message from God and give that message to the people. If he was a true prophet, he did not meddle with the message. He clearly and distinctively said what God said is what I'm saying. And if he were a real, true prophet, the Bible says that 100% of the time and 100% of what he said would come to pass. It would come true. For him to be a correct and true prophet, he had to be 100% right all the time. Now, I think about this. And we're we're going through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a a great book. And then Jeremiah follows follows two of the big major prophets. Do you know that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet? But for all those years he preached and not one convert. But you know why he was a prophet? You know why the Bible records his writings? Because he 100% did and said what God told him to do, even though he did not see the results. He's a true prophet. And this is how God spoke in the Old Testament times. But in contrast to the prophets, in these last days, what are the last days from the time that Jesus came the first time until he comes back the second time? All that period of time in between is the last days. You've heard of the last days. Paul writes to Timothy about the last days. So he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Now this is very important that you get this. It's very important that we all get this. You have the prophets over here. They're saying, this is how I spoke in times past. But in these last days, I'm speaking expressively, distinctively, exclusively through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, that's important because what he is telling us is that Jesus Christ is the Father's revelation of himself. Now listen to me. 
You hear people talk about God, God, God all over, all over. Uh, some of the people talk about many gods and all this. There's one God. And God is so magnificent. And I'm trying to choose my words carefully. I'm not trying to use theological words. I'm trying to use Sioux County words. God is so wonderful, right? He is so powerful. He is so extraordinary. That if we are going to know God, the only way we can know God is if He reveals Himself to us. Do you understand that? You don't wake up one morning and say, Oh man, I know God. No. God is revealed to us. If we know anything about God, it has to come through His revelation to us. Right? And we have the perfect Word of God Right here. The revelation of God right here. Is it any wonder why Jesus is is called the Word in John? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the revelation of God. It's all tied together. Whatever God wants us to know about Him has has been revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is significant. So how has he spoken? Or why has he chosen Christ? What is the big deal? Why, why this juxtaposed uh, position between Jesus and everyone else? Because you need to see this. There's no one like Jesus. And the author is going to show us that. Look in verse 2. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things. This is all his kingdom. When he he establishes his kingdom, everyone is under his rule. His rule. And listen, he is heir of all things. He owns it all. It's his. Everything you have, you might have a title for your car, You might have a deed to your house. He owns it all. You are only a steward allowed to manage it. And notice what he says about him. Through whom also he made the worlds. Now, in this statement, there's a lot. If he made the worlds, then he had to be here before the worlds, right? And we know that he was, if you go all the way back to Genesis in the beginning, he already was. He was already there. In the creative account, God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. Very specific. It's not... um, it's not, what's, it's not at all convoluted. It's very specific. Very clear. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're together in the creative account. Jesus was active in the creation of the world. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, All things were created through Him and for Him. So how could you say a prophet is equal to Jesus when God says of Jesus, 
He created this place. How could you ever? You say, nobody says that. Yes, they do. There are many religions, I would say, that say that Jesus was just a prophet. You see, the real issue at the heart of all this is who is Jesus? Who is he? Not only was he active in creation, look in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the brightness of his God's glory and the express image of his person. John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is God. He is revealing God to us. God became man. How can you compare Jesus to Moses or Jesus to the patriarchs or Jesus to another prophet? You can't. Because Jesus is so much better. And if you're going to understand the rest of Hebrews, you've got to understand this one point. There's no one like Jesus. He goes on to say, He is the express image of His person and upholding all things by the Word. Remember that, there's that power. The Word of His power. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus sustains all things, Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or hold together. Because he says so, his word, which is power. Whatever he says is true. Whatever he says comes true. He is God. And then he goes on to say, When he had by himself, no help, by himself, purged our sins, that is huge. How can you say that Jesus is like the angels, or Jesus is like the prophets, or Jesus is like Moses or Abraham, when Jesus is the only one who died on the cross to purge our sins? To take away the sins of the world. Hebrews 7.27 says that he died once for all. (coughs) If his death were not sufficient, he would have to die again. But he does not have to die again because he is sufficient. His death was sufficient. And Jesus, by himself, purged our sins. How could you compare him to anyone else? Now you understand so why I get so aggravated and frustrated when someone uses his name. I remember a few years ago, we had a baseball game out at South Webster, and we were early, and they had batting cages, and we were in the batting cages, and I was sitting here, standing here beside a parent, and there was a kid beside us, and there was a net, and one of the boys was hitting, and one of the boys hit a line drive, and it hit the net in front of us, and not even close to us. But the young boy, who probably at that time would have been 10, 11, 12, something that range, and he let out, well, Jesus Christ. And I stopped and looked at him, and his dad looked at him, and his dad looked at me. He knew I was a pastor, and he scolded him. And uh, you say, well, you know, listen, guys, you say what you want. But you'll see in just a moment 
at that, at that name, not Christ, but Jesus, at that name, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. It's not a swear word. It's not to be used in vain. He's the one that died for our sins. How can we compare him to anyone? He goes on to say, Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. You know the story. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He did many, many infallible. He showed himself by many infallible proofs, Acts says. He ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of prominence, a place of honor. Remember when the disciples were arguing over which one could sit at the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom? Why were they having that argument? Because it was an argument of prominence. It's a place of prominence. It's a place of privilege. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice what else in verse 4 it says. Having become so much better than angels... As he is by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, let me just show you something here. Let me, it's, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. He has this name according to his inheritance, who he is. Not because of what he's done. Now, we love Jesus Christ for what he's done. But listen, we cannot not love him for who he is. It's extremely important because at the heart of all this, at the heart of all your issues of spirituality is a surrender to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. That's it. At the heart of it. And because of who he is, he has a more excellent name than they. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Therefore God has all... Also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those things in heaven and things on earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who he is. This revelation is from God. This is a revelation of God revealing him who he is. And the writer wants us to know that Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the bread of life. He's everything, the light of the world. And he's better than anyone else or anything else. And so in fashion of a sermon... He lays out the exposition, and then in verse 5, he turns over to exhortation and says, the writer says this, For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Name one angel that God said, You are my son. Not one. And again, to any angel, name any angel, the Michael, the archangel. You know there are some so-called religions that says Michael is over Jesus? You believe that? It was Michael that spoke of himself that said he didn't even make a railing accusation against Satan, but let the Lord rebuke thee. He brought himself under submission to the Lord. 
We take it for granted because we have been in a Bible-believing church and we believe the Bible, but there are many people who don't believe the Bible. There are many people who don't know what they believe. They don't know what the Bible says. But look what else he says in verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, when Jesus, talking about Jesus, comes into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Every one of them bows before Jesus Christ. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But he never said that to the Son. Look in verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Your throne, O God, is forever, a scepter of righteousness, a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And, he says, continuing on his exhortation, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. What will perish? All the world. But you remain, Lord. They, all those that will perish, will grow old like a garment. Anybody here experience growing old? Some of you are sitting there saying, you don't even know, preacher. I can read your minds. <laughs> like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Has God ever said to any angel, there ever was, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? No. But he has to God. As a matter of fact, you know what all, all angels are? People are all whacked over angels. And I'm going to say it. I haven't read your post. If you posted it, I'm not speaking to you expressively. But if it hurts you, I don't mean to. But I've got to tell you the truth. When you die, you do not become an angel. That is fiction. All angels are, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation, those who are saved? All angels are are ministering spirits sent to help us in this earth. That's it. That's it. So don't be over enamored with angels. I remember I was, uh, I'm not real big on testimony. I'm sorry. I wish I were. I know it. I, I, I know some people it's very important testimony. But as a pastor, I sweat great drops of blood sometimes. I was at the other church and they had a testimony and this woman was testifying. And uh, she was testifying about how she needed a sign from God that her father was okay. And she was coming out of the grocery store, and she looked down, and when she looked down, as she came out of the grocery store, there was an angel pen lying on the ground. And that was the message from God because her dad loved angels. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, let's uh, electric go off. Let something happen. Let's get out of here. This ain't right. Guys, listen to me. All that stuff, we want that stuff that make us feel good. But let me tell you something. There is nothing that can make you, there's nothing that can make you as whole as you and I need to be as the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the patriarchs. He's better than Moses. He's better than all that. He is better than the law. And listen to me, he's better than the sacrifice. As we go into this study and we get deeper in this study, we'll see that they, they had to make these animal sacrifices to atone for their sin. And they had to continually do it. Why did they have to continually do it? Because they continually sinned. And they would offer up these sacrifices. That's the old way. Who wants to do that? If I were an Old Testament preacher, you know what I would do? I would be nothing more than a butcher. Sacrificing animals. 
But Hebrews teaches us that in 9, uh, 9, uh, 7, 727 that he died for us once for all and there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. We don't have to go in there year after year and offer those sacrifices because Jesus has become our sacrifice. He's better than all that. He's better than the law. It cracks me up. We were in Israel and we happened to be there on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Sunday. We were there Saturday evening and we were in the motel and we were going to eat. And we were like on the 13th floor of this motel. And in this motel, the, the uh, elevator doors stay open. They, they open automatically and close. And every floor they stop and open. Because they thought it was against the law to push floor 13. So if you're on floor 13, you're like... 12, 11, and it took you forever. You could walk. And we laugh at that, and we think that's ridiculous, but they thought that their spirituality was tied to that, that if they touched a button, that they did a work. And I said, well, where are all these people come from? They weren't in the motel before. Do you know that many of the people, Jewish people today in Israel, stay? they would stay in motels on the weekend so they did not have to work cook, clean, do anything, they would go stay in a motel so that they wouldn't break the law. But what about the employees at the motel? I'm just asking. Listen, many people struggle with spirituality because they have not believed and submitted to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Many people are following uh, fables and they're following things that was passed down from generation to generation and they were passed down wrongly each generation and we think it's doctrine and it's not doctrine. You and I are Christians. We're to be Christ-like. We're to follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. So let me just tell you three things quickly. Number one... I must receive and recognize Jesus for who He is. The fundamental problem in our churches today is we have moved away from who Jesus is. Our churches have become about us. It has become about us feeling good. It has become about the music, the way the lights are done, the way the preacher can manipulate people. All of that means nothing. Jesus means everything. He means everything. You know, <clears throat> many people have walked away from church because they haven't realized that Jesus Christ is sufficient in all things. I have watched this over and over and over and over again. I have watched people who are struggling walk away from church, walk away from the Lord, rather than coming to Him Acknowledging his sufficiency and trusting in him and waiting on him, they're angry and they walk away. If someone does that, he or she is saying that Christ is not sufficient to take me through what I'm going through. I don't diminish that people are going through very dark, deep things. I don't diminish the pain in that or the fact that that's happening. But I will tell you this. The psalmist recognized this. And the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou 
art with me. Thou art with me. I must receive and recognize Jesus for who he is. Man, I was having a blast singing this morning. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Isn't that wonderful? And then what a beautiful name. And we talked about that in our text. We didn't get together and plan this. And then, and then Harry sings about the blood of Christ. I mean, there's no secrets, guys. It's all Jesus. Number two, I must worship Jesus Christ for who he is. I, I love church. And I, I, I love the hymns. I love new songs. I love old songs. I've even found a group, I, for the first time in my life, I'm enjoying bluegrass. There's a group called Chosen Road. The guys are from West Virginia. I don't know. Maybe it's called West Virginia. I like them. But I'm enjoying bluegrass. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, man, this is great. This is good. And uh, what, what I'm trying to say is, when I receive and recognize Jesus for who he is, it's not, a, it's not hard to worship him. It's not hard to worship Jesus. Guys, let me tell you something. Tonight, we're going to come and have church at 6, and we'll go home, and at 8.15, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to come on, and they're going to play. And I'm going to look in a stadium packed full of people. And I'm going to see those people packed. And there's nothing wrong with going to a, a football game. I mean, I ain't going to pay $750 for a ticket, but that's what they're going for. But they'll be packed in there, and they'll be watching the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, thousands of people. They'll be going crazy. Guys, grown men won't have shirts on, faces painted, and all this stuff. And then it's such a chore for the same people to go to church and sing about our Lord and Savior. Guys, we have moved from the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ to the supremacy and sufficiency of self. I can do this on my own. Now, God, when I need you, I want you. But when I don't need you, you just stay there in heaven. I'll call you when I need you. Let me do what I want to do. That's not a surrender to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I must worship Jesus Christ for who he is. Well, preacher, you know, we get up to sing and you know, I just really don't like that song. Well, sing it anyways. It's not about what you like and I don't like. It's about Jesus. Well, so and so, I can't believe they wore this. Well, quit looking at them. Set up front. There's plenty of room up here. You sit up here, you don't, nobody in front of you to worry about. Amen, Brandon? Amen. I told him last week, brother, I enjoyed you sitting on the front row. He said, well, I don't get used to it. And here he is again. <laughs> By your words, you stand and fall, brother. I must worship Jesus Christ for who he is. Guys, we need a revival of a realization and recognition of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. I want you to just stop for one moment and think about this. There is no one on this earth who could atone for your sins, even including yourself. And to me, the fact that Jesus loves us so much, he was willing to die on the cross, knowing every sin that you and I would ever commit, every thought we would think that's ungodly, Every word that we would speak 
that should not be spoken. Knowing that, he was willing to go to the cross and die for you and me because he is the only one who could. That's the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And the Bible says he become our propitiation. And not the propitiation of us, but propitiation for the whole the sins of the whole world. Satisfaction. Propitiation means satisfaction. God was satisfied with the death of Christ on the cross. His, his death was sufficient. Sufficient. Yet we're all about setting up our earthly kingdoms. Billboards of preachers and and. There's a, a, a pastor in Huntington, it's a, a large church, and they were telling me that the service starts and then they have a grand promenade uh, song and the church uh, of the church stands and the pastor and his wife come in the back door and walk down to the front and come up on stage and they applaud all that. That's ridiculous. Dude, no ideas, don't even try it. That is ridiculous. Guys, I'm serious, that is ridiculous. That's absurd. Jesus should receive all the adoration. Jesus should receive all the praise. When I don't worship Jesus Christ for who He is, I worship someone else for who they are. And most often it's myself. Lastly, I must live under the authority that Jesus Christ is the supreme and sufficient for everything. He is supreme and sufficient for everything. You know, we do this by faith. We do this by faith. When you read what the Scripture says, and the Scripture says, do this and you do that, you do that by faith. And when you do that, you are bringing yourself under the authority of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. When you go back over to the world and the law and try to pick up works to gain favor with God, you've moved out from under the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ to the supremacy and sufficiency of yourself. I've got to do something to get there. No. You believe in Jesus. And then by faith you follow Him. That is some bringing yourself under the subjection to His supremacy and His sufficiency. The Jewish converts, they were restoring, uh, resorting back to the law and works. The Apostle Paul, all throughout his epistles, has to address, he says in Galatians, you, you were doing well, but who hath bewitched you? All these things. Peter, he was with the Gentiles. He was living it up and he had a ham sandwich and eating bacon and enjoying it. And then the bigwigs came from Jerusalem. And they, Peter changed and forsook all those Gentile believers, all those pork eaters, and went over here with them and acted. And, and the Apostle Paul, he said, I love what uh, Chuck Swindoll said. Chuck Swindoll said when he confronted him, Paul said to Peter, I can smell the ham on your breath. Why, Peter, living as Gentiles, do you try to make them go back under the law? 
when these people come in from different places because you want to impress them. They failed to see and believe that Jesus is better or Jesus is best. Guys, you think about this. This blows my mind. What in the world would make Matthew a tax collector? Very, very affluent position. The Jews thought he was a crook, an exhorter, extorter, I should say. And what would make him stop doing that, forsake all that money, and follow Jesus? Jesus said of this, the birds have, have nests, foxes have dens, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew, are you really willing to forsake all of this, this wonderful life you could have, life of luxury, life of material things? Are you willing to possess that to follow me? Yes. Yes, I am, Lord. My question to us this morning is, will we come to the absolute certainty that Jesus and His way is best? Will we stop trying and start trusting, start moving by faith? I'm going to do God, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to, you're here, right? And I'm not preaching, but I'm going to go to church because God's Word tells me not to forsake the assembling of myself together. I'm going to do that. I'm going to sing when it's time to praise and worship. I'm going to sing to the Lord and worship Him because all throughout the Psalms, I am exhorted to sing a new song. And I have faith in Him. And because I have faith in Him, I'm going to sing. Well, preacher, you've never heard me sing. You've never heard me sing. That's irrelevant. What I'm trying to say is when we come to this understanding when we come to this commitment, level of commitment, that Jesus Christ is supreme and He is sufficient, I'm going to follow Him. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're still going to fail. But when we fail, we have the promise of Scripture. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not asking you to commit to some kind of fundamentalism or some kind of religiousism or some kind of this or that or the other or some kind of speaker or this camp, that camp. That makes me sick. I'm asking you to commit to Jesus. I'm going to faith in Him. I'm going to follow Him. I don't care what... I'm not getting my theology from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. But from the living God, the living Word. And what His Word says, by faith... I'm going to do it because I have surrendered myself to the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. Everything is by faith. It's by faith. And as we go through the book of Hebrews, you and I will see that this matter of the supremacy of Christ touches every area of our lives. And if you are struggling spiritually... The symptoms you are facing of the problem are just symptoms. In other words, what you are seeing are symptoms. The root of the problem is perhaps there might be a deficiency in your surrender to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. I.e., you need to bring yourself under subjection to what the revelation of God says in His Word. I was teaching one time. In a class, 
and we were going through Ephesians. You all have been here long enough to know there most of the time, like I know around Christmas, and I wanted to wait until we got a couple weeks in to, before I started Hebrews, most of the time I go verse by verse through the Scriptures. And uh, we come, came to Ephesians. I'm in the classroom, and there are many people in this classroom, and I read the passage. We were at that part where it said, Wives, submit to your own husbands. And the woman sitting on the front row, she went, not this again. And it took everything that I had in me not to just blow up and ask her, what in the world is your problem? I didn't write it. I was just reading it. And there are many of us in our lives when we see something going wrong and we just think, well... You know, I know what the Bible says, but don't go there. If you and I are going to have a conversation, you start, well, I know what the Bible says, but our conversation's over. Because if you don't believe the Word of God, I can't help you. Because all I can give you is the Word of God. So I would tell you this. I would ask you to examine your heart this morning. And in fact, I would ask you right now. I don't care who's watching, who's looking, who's listening. It's more important than that. I would ask you this. Can you say in the sincerity of your heart, knowing that God knows your every thought, that you are absolutely, totally committed to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ Jesus in your life? If you can say that in your heart, I'm going to say, God bless you. Pray today that God would keep it up. But if you can't say that, you say, preacher, I know I'm saved and I know that uh, I love the Lord, but I've just got some things that's kind of pulled me away a little bit and I, I've wandered and I've done If I would say to you, why don't you today come clean to the Lord? God, I haven't, Jesus, I, I haven't submitted to your supremacy, complete control of my life, your sufficiency, totally trusting upon you, following what your word says and leaving all the results to you. I've not come to that conclusion. I've, uh, I've wandered away from that, Lord, and I need to resurrender. God, would you show anything in my life that's keeping me from the supremacy and sufficiency of you in my life? That's what I would ask you. Father, we bow before you today.